Uh, and so this series called Parables, Imagining the Kingdom. And I just invite you to hear the beginning of this parable today in Matthew 13. That day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he climbed into a boat and sat down. The whole crowd was standing on the shore. He said many things to them in parables. A farmer went out to scatter seed. As he was scattering seed, some fell on the path and birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where the soil was shallow. They sprouted immediately because the soil wasn't deep. But when the sun came up, it scorched the plants and they dried up because they had no roots. Other seed fell among thorny plants. The thorny plants grew and choked them. Other seed fell on good soil and bore fruit. In one case, a yield of 100 to 1. And in another case, a yield of 60 to 1. And in another case, a yield of 30 to 1. Everyone who has ears should pay attention. It's the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, let the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There is something about Jesus' parables that I think speaks to our core. They are more than a proverb or a maxim. That's what rabbis of Jesus' day were used to dishing out and telling people. They were giving good pieces of wisdom that usually hold true. Practical advice that showed you how to live some kind of grandparent-type advice and wisdom passed down through the ages. But then Jesus comes onto the scene and speaks in this very different mode, a, a parable. A story that opens up our imaginations. And this is precisely the point, I believe, of parables. Jesus is explaining something that is expansive and requires a new way of seeing the world. And he ingeniously does this through telling parables. Now, parables don't have just one specific point. The challenge of preaching about parables is that they basically have everything in them already. They don't need an explanation. Everyone who has ears should pay attention, Jesus says at the end of this parable. He echoes what the Old Testament prophets would say sometimes after they shared when they said, he who has ears should hear. In other words, if you get the parable, if you understand it a little bit, then you're on the right track. Now, our world today uses language in a certain way. Language for most of us is technical and analytical. Words are used to describe and to depict exactly what is happening. Words come to represent specific things. So this word means that thing, one-to-one. -one. But in parables, words create an expansive world. And they do this with very few words. A lot of times, our focus when talking about parables is how Jesus spoke the common language of the people that they all understood, like the language of farming in their world. The beauty of this is that even when we aren't necessarily all farmers sitting here, the language makes sense. As we hear the parable, however, it also opens us up to receive something entirely new and different. Biblical scholar Ben Witherington 
writes this about Jesus and his parables. He says, Jesus' parables are intended to be unsettling, disturbing, sometimes even ominous and shocking. They are not told to reinforce the status quo like so many traditional proverbs were. Rather, they alert people to the new and disturbing thing God is doing in their midst, which involves reversal of expectations, values, social standing, roles in society. Well, what is new and disturbing about Jesus' parable today? This one seems relatively harmless and tame to us. Maybe part of it that was disturbing is that this seed that the farmer sows is sown all over. God's word, in other words, is going to be offered to everyone, not just the select few. And this alone would have upset the religious leadership of Jesus' time. The other upsetting thing might be how little control people have over the harvest. It sure seems like the harvest is kind of just going to happen, like plants coming up. So this may not be the most upsetting of the parables, but through the series of teaching them, Jesus was able to teach what his kingdom was like even when he was under serious threat from religious and political leadership of his time. Right before this in Matthew, we've had sections of Jesus' teaching, his miracles, and his mission that have generated more conflict and rejection. So at this point in the gospel, when Jesus is teaching in parables, there his description of that rejection by Israel he's experiencing and the founding of the new community of people who are following the message of God's kingdom. So let's consider this parable of the soils together. When Jesus described this parable to the disciples and the crowd gathered, they would have heard it in a little bit different way than we do today. For when Jesus told this parable, we can follow the seed through the various places that it lands in. We almost can watch it go into these different phases of germination. But what remains the same each and every time, right? It's the sower and the seed. They're the exact same. The only variable in this equation is the quality of the ground that the seed lands in. So the parable is ultimately about the seed merging with the soil to produce a healthy crop. And these seeds are lost in different stages of the growing process, right? Along the road, it's the seed that doesn't even have a chance to sprout because the birds come and eat up the seed like it's bird food, right? Or in the rocky soil, the plant springs up quickly, but it dies quickly because it doesn't have the roots needed to be mature. Or some of it falls among thorny plants. The plant grows and seems mature, but then thorny weeds overtake it. It gets a disease and it's finished. Now, even as a non-expert, very novice gardener, I resonate with these realities. The seeds along the road. We, we, we took the risk of planting some bulbs this year. It was a very light risk, all right? So when you try to plant bulbs, you imagine that like, oh, these 12 bulbs that we just planted, that we bought in the bag at Costco, um, right, are, are going to, they're going to flower and turn in these beautiful bulbs. I think there's one plant there out of the 12 bulbs that got planted. I don't know what happened, right? The, I guess underneath the bulb's still there, but that's kind of like the seed that fell along the road. In other years, we've planted, you know, anyone can grow like a sun gold tomato around here, like the one that says like cherry 100 tomatoes, but, but trying to grow big tomatoes 
it takes a special hand and person. And so we've, we've tried in the past to grow the big tomatoes. And what happens is that it seems they sprout up quick, seems like they're doing well next to the other plants in the garden. And then every year, something takes over and gets them. And, and, and they die on the vine, right? That's the sprouting quick ones. Or other times, we weren't very good at the weeding process, right? And, and when you have a garden, you got to weed in order to, for the plants that you've planted to receive the right amount of energy. And, and when you don't get around to weeding, what happens, we've, we've had pepper plants and squash overtaken by vines before, and, and, and they no longer exist. So, so even from my very, very, very poor understanding of gardening and farming, I can make sense of Jesus' parable here. But what was striking to the original audience and to the hearers was not the bad sea, or the, the, the bad ground that the seed landed in, but instead the good soil. Because a yield of 100 to 1 at the time would have been considered of biblical and miraculous proportions. Oftentimes they thought that a really, really great yield on a crop was 15 to 1. So when we hear about a 100 to 1 type of yield, that was biblical, grand, exaggeration territory for people to hear. And there's a twofold promise hidden then within this parable. The first is that there will be failure when the seed is sown. A bunch of it won't sprout up and grow, or the fruit will die on the vine. Failure is part of the mission. And the second is this there will also be tremendous success. Some of the seed will fall on good and rich and healthy soil, and when it does, the resulting fruit will be exponential, a yield of 100 to 1 or 60 to 1 or 30 to 1. God's kingdom is going to be received, Jesus is saying, and is going to grow regardless of what we do. Because the seed that is sown is good seed, and the farmer is spreading it all around. The religious leaders hearing Jesus likely didn't hear this part. They did not like the idea that the kingdom was open to all. They didn't get to have control over who was in and who was out. This always bothered them. When I translate this to today, I think about the explosion of Christianity that is happening in the global south. Typically in areas without the same material resources as the historically western church, the fruit that is being born in countries in Africa and regions of Central and South America is exponential. But they don't have the formal training over there, we might say. They don't have the big church buildings and facilities. And I think about Paul in 1 Corinthians. When he's writing, he says, I planted and Apollos watered, but God gives the growth. God gives the growth. Ultimately, this is the mystery of this parable. God's kingdom is going to happen underneath the surface, like a seed blending with the right type of soil conditions until it germinates and takes life. In the scripture of Matthew today, Jesus also then later gives an extended explanation about this parable. He doesn't do this very much, and it seems like the explanation was more geared towards us the people hearing this parable after Jesus was resurrected and ascended. But it does help us to shift the focus to part of this parable that we can affect, the condition of the soil. 
So Jesus says a little later in verse 18, Consider then the parable of the farmer. Whenever people hear the word about the kingdom and don't understand it, the evil one comes and carries off what was planted in their hearts. This is the seed that was sown on the path. As for that that was spread on the rocky ground, this refers to people who hear the word and immediately receive it joyfully. Because they have no roots, they last only a little while. When they experience distress or abuse because of the word, they immediately fell away. As for the seed that was spread among thorny plants, this refers to those who hear the word, but the worries of this life and the false appeal of wealth choke the word and it bears no fruit. As for what was planted on good soil, this refers to those who hear and understand and bear fruit and produce. In one case, a yield of 100 to 1, in another case, a yield of 60 to 1, and in another case, a yield of 30 to 1. So when I read this, I can definitely picture the stages of development of Christian disciples or people I have known who fit each of these soil types. Seed along the path. I could think about maybe some people who grew up in the church and what seemed like good homes and the message of Jesus just never came to life for them. I think about the rocky soil. I think about people who were on fire for Jesus at some point. They, they were completely sold out for, for their faith. And then their faith just seemed to disappear the second that it was challenged. I think about the thorny soil. People who consistently follow Jesus, who seem to be growing and mature, but then they get consumed by their concerns of the world. Their jobs or their stock portfolio or their vacation home became their goal, not the kingdom of God. So yes, this is where our minds go towards different types of soil. But I also feel like my personal soil condition changes a lot. And this is where I think that within a parable, we can find all sorts of explanations. I have had seasons in the rocky soil. My faith felt like it was growing so quickly and so exponentially fast, but the second the emotion was removed from it, it proved shallow and without rootedness. I currently worry that I allow the thorns of life to surround and choke out the plant of my faith. I make other things more important than seeking God's kingdom. I get concerned about career or kids' future or home improvements that keep growing and the list goes on and on. This is why the parables are so helpful. Jesus doesn't say that our soil condition doesn't or can't change. He's not dictating that we are just born a certain soil type doesn't or can receive his kingdom news. I think the challenge of this parable, personally, is trying to determine how we can become that good, rich soil, and even how we stay there. What compost do we need to add to the soil to maintain the nutrients? How are we tilling it regularly? How do we maintain it even when we don't see the fruit that we'd like to see? So yes, this can be about us as little soil beds, but it's also about us as a church community or even about our bigger networks like denominations and about countries. How are we receptive to the message of Jesus' kingdom? Are we collectively showing the fruit that God is going to bear? And what does that fruit even look like? Right now, I'm tempted to answer these questions for you. That's a preacher's job, right? to tell you the steps towards soil cultivation. But instead, I'm going to follow Jesus' lead 
and wonder, I wonder, what type of soil do you find yourself as today? I wonder, what could you do to improve its condition? Let us pray. Lord Jesus, when we hear these words of your parables, sometimes it's easy for us to see where other people we know fit. Well, that person's surely rocky soil, or that person's surely in the thorns. But Lord, I pray also that your word would hold up a mirror to us. And that as that mirror is held to us, that we would become receptive to your word of hope and life and love, to your word of salvation in our lives, to your message that is greater than any other concern so that we might become those plants that bear much fruit. That we individually, that we as a church, that we as your movement of people called United Methodists, may be that that fruit-bearing people in the world where people would know through how we live and through the way in which you are working out what your love looks like in the world through us that people might see and know. So Lord, please open us up to how you would speak to us continually through your parables. And God, let let these words and let these images stick with us even beyond this day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. you to stand as you are able and join me in the Apostles' Creed found on pages three and four of your bulletin. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived.